Blog Talk Radio. Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of Theology Matter. I'm your host, Devin Palou, and I actually have a co-host with me. <laughs> I'm Melissa Palou here today. Um, normally, it's either one or the other of us um, hosting, uh, and today we happen to be able to do it together. So. Yeah, we're going to try and do that a little, little bit more. I think people probably rather hear her voice than my voice. <laughs> but, I don't know about uh, that, but... Glad to have you guys join us. We've been wanting to do this show for a long time now and had a few things come up that got in the way last week, but uh, I think we're we're back on track now. And so today's show, we're going to have Dr. Paul Copan. Uh, We're going to talk about his book, What Would Jesus Eat? Uh, The Biblical Case for Eating Meat. So uh, what would Jesus really eat? That's that's the title. Um. Before that, um, a little bit of things to get out of the way, Melissa. Um, just want to cover everyone's prayers and um, support. You, we just kicked off another semester or another academic year um, of doing our show, Christy. This is our sixth year, I believe, um, at Winthrop University um, doing a student apologetics club. Um, we also have a chapter at York Technical College. And we um, have a professor, uh, Russia Christie professor group at the campus as well. So um, a lot of that um, being kicked off um, right now. And so it's been a very busy time of planning through the summer. We, um, we're training high school students and actually we'll be picking that back up um, next month as well. So we'll be doing both the university, the community college, uh, the youth group of apologetics with Russia Christie as well as Russia Christie professors. So we will definitely need your prayers for for our, our um, this busy season of life, but we love doing this. We love um, uh, uh, sharing the truth of, of Christianity with um, those who uh, don't know him and as well as um, embolden the faith of those who do know him. So we uh, have a link there um, here in the show description where you can actually click and, and view um, our information, what we do, um, our our topics of discussions that we do, um, as well as if you would, you know, like to support us in any way, you know, through your prayers, prayerful support, your financial support, and these sort of things. So uh, that's what's going on with us. And yeah, also be uh, be sure to check out our YouTube page if you go to Ratio Christie at Winthrop University. And uh, a lot of talks that we do, like last semester, we did a Faith Next Door. And so we examined a lot of different religions and then uh, kind of just compare how they differ with uh, Christianity. And then also, how do we engage them for the gospel? So be sure to check that out. Our Facebook page, Theology Matters with the Palouse. Then, of course, uh, they can sub- subscribe at uh, True Life Radio or True Radio. Uh, capital T-R-U, um, radio at either their Android or the iTunes, uh, whatever podcast uh, thing you use, you can subscribe with that. Boston, Melissa, real quick, talk about that event coming up September 24th. Yes, so at Winthrop University, we are um, actually sponsoring an event um, entitled, Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? Um, with uh, Dr. Hale Felder, who is um, an apologist who speaks a lot and writes a lot on this topic, He's actually the author of the African-American Guide to the Bible. So um, if you are in, involved in, in current culture and, and at any level, 
you will know that race is a huge issue right now. Um, it is a, a very divisive issue. And so um, even within the Christian uh, religion and from those outside the Christian religion who um, are, it's a, a, basically an objection uh, to those who are of non-European descent, um, that the, um, an objection that the, that the Christian faith and the Bible is actually um, uh, oppressive and promotes white, uh, white supremacy and things of that nature. So we wanted to kind of look at that and dispel some of that and look at the actual historical um, narrative um, and truth of the scriptures and the reliability of the scriptures. And so um, Dr. Felder will be doing that event for us at Winthrop University on Tuesday, September the 24th, 7 p.m., and that will be in Richardson Ballroom at Winthrop University in the DeGiorgio Student Center. So uh, all, all are welcome. It's a free event. So come on out. Wonderful. All right, and without further ado, we'd like to bring on our guest, uh, Dr. Paul Copan. And I believe last time he was on, we went over the um, When God Goes to Starbucks. I yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So he's been on on the show in the past, so you can find uh, you can find that if you just Google uh, Dr. Paul Copan, Theology Matters of the Blues. You can hear the uh, an older show we did. But uh, so nice to have you, Dr. Copan. Are you there? I am here. Thank you. And thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Dr. Kapan, um, he is a very busy theologian, an apologist, um, analytic philosopher, uh, professor, author, and he is currently at Palm Beach Atlantic University, holds the endowed pleasure, uh, family chair of philosophy and ethics. And I know you're doing a lot of great work down in, at um at the, the university there, Dr. Copan. So very thankful that you took time out of your schedule to be with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. Yeah. Did we uh, leave anything out or anything you wanted to add with that? Uh, well, I mean, I I appreciate your introduction. If anybody wants to find out a little bit more about where, uh, you know, what I'm doing and, and books and uh, videos and so forth, I just did a PragerU video on relativism called mm-hmm. Dread for You But Not For Me, so that may be of interest. But uh, but you can look at my website, uh, paulcopan.com, P-A-U-L-C-O-P-A-N, paulcopan.com, and uh, find out more stuff there. Yeah, the uh, the Prager video seemed to really, really take off pretty well, huh? Uh, yeah, I think on, I guess, less than two weeks it had two million views, and uh, they haven't updated the account mm-hmm. since then. But uh, But anyway, yeah, it's done well. I'm surprised. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, maybe you can uh, talk to us a little bit about um, this new book that we're going to be looking at. It's, uh, you, it's like you've co-edited um, with uh, Wes West Jameson, I guess so you can say the name. But yeah. um, what would Jesus really eat the uh, biblical case for for eating meat? So why would why should Christians uh, maybe care about this issue. I think more and more Christians are, uh, traditional Christians are hearing that, like from PETA, that uh, Jesus was a vegetarian. They had a campaign back in 1999 uh, promoting that. And then there are others who are uh, claiming that it's really not compassionate to eat meat, that we ought to have a plant-based diet uh, that we and they will sometimes quote various verses out of context, like 
um, put on a put on a you know put on compassion you know they'll quote from Colossians three or something and you know to imitate Jesus who was compassionate of course Jesus ate meat uh, he ate lamb at Passover he provided fish for his disciples uh, on the Sea of Galilee and uh, fed the four and the five thousands uh, and he was in you know and that involved the distribution of fish. Uh, Jesus uh, was one, who, and again, we see throughout the Old Testament that certain meats are uh, available for God's people to eat, that they're free to eat these sorts of things. Of course, there's kosher, uh, that's supposed to be kosher, but Jesus actually expands the horizons in, uh, you know, in Mark chapter 7, where he declares all foods clean by saying it's not really any food that defiles you. And we read repeatedly throughout the uh, Paul's writings that there are people who say you know, Colossians 2 do not handle do not taste do not touch uh, or first Timothy chapter 4 where they where false teachers are prohibiting the eating of certain foods and uh, and and this is just uh, goes against the grain of the New Testament where Jesus opens the way yes he ate kosher but he opens the way for all foods being available to uh, to eat and uh, and so this is so we have kind of a false spirituality that is being foisted upon Christians, people who are in the farming industry or you know who are working in in uh, agriculture and so forth, you know animal agriculture. They're they're often the target of these sorts of uh, campaigns where you know they they should be more compassionate that they shouldn't have factory farming and so forth. Now I'm not saying that all the conditions are, are optimal, but on the other hand there are uh, you know, there are people who, uh, you know, are, do what the scriptures permit them to do, namely to to kill and to make provision for animals, uh, for human beings by slaughtering animals, and and this is just something that is part of the the gift that God has given to us. These are Paul says in First Timothy four, good gifts that God has given to us to receive with a spirit of thankfulness. And uh, and not to be prohibited. So so again, we're hearing a message today saying that it's wrong to do these things. And and you know, practices aside, in principle, uh, the New Testament says no. Eating meat is a good thing. It's a gift from God. And uh, and and uh, we ought to resist those arguments that say it's more spiritual to be a, a vegetarian or a vegan uh, than it is to uh, than it is to mm-hmm. have meat in your diet. That, yeah, that is that is so good. Um, maybe for those listening who may not be familiar with some of the terms, um, can could you explain also maybe the difference between uh, veganism and vegetarianism? Some of the differences there. Sure. Yeah, you'll have different ways of cashing these things out. I mean, some people will have you know they'll call you know, they'll be a they'll be vegetarian. It sounds like they just eat a plant based diet, but they might include fish. In their diet, for example, that might be, you know, some might include dairy, uh, but still be uh, vegetarians. Um, but the vegan is one who is more strictly speaking operating on a plant-based diet. Um, so that's uh, a little bit of a distinction. And, and one of the things that I point out in the book is that um, the commitment to veganism 
uh, this plant-based diet uh, is not something that's rooted in Scripture at all. Um, I mean, you can have, you can have, uh, but basically it, it comes from paganism, really. Those who believe, for example, in reincarnation, that you may be eating uh, someone, you know, you know, your, you know, uh, you know, a, you know, an ancestor or something like that, or uh, you know, you know, or it could be, or a descendant even, you know, that this sort of a thing that maybe comes out of you know Hinduism or some Eastern viewpoint where the soul moves from body to body. Uh, again, that is not the biblical uh, worldview at all. Um, now, some people might say, well, look, in the beginning, in the, in the Garden of Eden, you had a plant-based diet. You know, God gave to, uh, okay. to human beings all these, you know, you know, every plant and so forth. Well, of course, it didn't exclude eating meat. And, of course, ultimately, everything <laughs> is rooted in a plant-based diet. I mean, even you know, carnivores will eat animals that are you know, eating uh, plants. But, um, but, right. you also, but you also see, uh, interestingly enough, uh, in you know that that's that is you, you have human beings who are to take dominion over the fish of the sea. Now, how do you do that? It, it sounds like there is some presumption that you could eat them potentially, but but in Psalm 104 we have a creation psalm where we read about God providing for His creation, including lions who seek their that seek their prey from God. And it tells us wow. that God provides. He opens his hand to even the lions. And it says, same word as Genesis 1, says, and it is good that this food chain wow. that God has put into place is actually seen as something that is good. And uh, so it's, it's part of God's provision in this first creation where God gives freely to his creation. Of course, we can kind of superimpose our own, you know, sympathies and human compassion upon animals. Oh, look, that lion is, is about to ta attack that gazelle on the animal planet, uh, you know, uh, channel or something. And so we, in a sense, humanize animals and, uh, and, and we tr superimpose our own experience of suffering or pain or whatever upon animals as though they have that same kind of experience that we do. But but we don't pick that up from Scripture at all. That doesn't seem to be rooted in Scripture. Um, so, so again, some people will say, well, what about the new creation? You'll have the lion and the lamb together, uh, and even you'll have images of animals like bears and, and so forth eating grass or straw. What does that mean, it, like in the book of Isaiah? Well, here I would say we have a, a figurative uh you know, a figure of speech, a picture where all dangerous animals like lions and bears are domesticated, that they don't the sirens going by here, um, that they don't have yeah. a <laughs> they don't <laughs> that you know, they don't they, the all danger is basically removed, that there is no threat any longer, that these dangerous animals, right. if they are existing there, are domesticated. But even though you'll have the lion and the lamb together, you know, Isaiah eleven, Isaiah sixty five, etc., you have in Isaiah thirty five mentioned that there it says there will be no lion there in the new heavens and the new earth, in this new creation. So what is it? Will there be a lion or won't there be? Well, I think the main point is that there will be no danger there. Everything will be, there will be safety, there will be peace. Uh, and there's language that's used, you know, uh, uh, of, uh, you know of, of human beings, even on Isaiah 25, where you know, there will be a time of rich feasting when the veil of death is removed. And it says there will be eating choice meats or choice marrow, which sounds like people will continue to eat meat. If you take that, literally. 
So, so again, we, we just don't have a clear picture here on what it's going to be. But during this era, we will have a, you know, we will have a, you know, that eating meat is perfectly permissible. Jesus even exemplified that in his resurrection state when he ate fish and he gave it to his disciples. Here, the new creation has come. Jesus has been raised from the dead. There's a new creation era that is beginning. Um, so even here, Jesus is eating meat in this new creation era that is to be fulfilled when he comes. Some people say, well, shouldn't we try to imitate this new creation ethos now? Shouldn't we try to avoid meat? Because that's what it's going to be eventually. Again, I'd say it's not based on accurate reading of Scripture. But they'll say, you know, if the lion and the lamb are together, maybe we should try to do that sort of a thing now and not eat any uh, any meat now. Well, if you're going to do that, then why not be consistent and say, well, since we're not going to be married in the new heavens and the new earth, maybe we should just shouldn't get married now so that we could imitate that kind of an ethic for the that's the future, uh, the kind of the picture of the future, we should start doing that now. Well, again, uh, that's just a wrong-headed uh, way of operating. Again, it's a very selective theological process that says we should be, we should, yes, we should continue to marry and have children and so forth, but we still shouldn't eat meat and so forth. So again, uh, those are some of the things that we talk about in, in the book and, and go into a lot of details. And, and, and maybe just a little bit, I don't know if you've got any questions. I know I've been kind of going uh, steady stream here, but uh, feel free to jump in if you've got any, no. any, any follow-up questions. Yeah, no, that's it's it's really. I know my wife's dying to get a question, but I just wanted to <laughs> just to get one more in. Um, uh-huh. Just a couple of things, real quick. First, you know, you're. I think from from everything I've gathered, what you're saying is, um, it's not it's not wrong to be a vegetarian, or or people choose sure. to be vegan or vegetarian, uh, but it's when they're trying to impose this kind of spiritual, you know, uh, spirituality that it's you're more. Uh, you know, a better Christian or something. If you if you are eating how God intended us to eat in the garden or something like that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, that um, Paul says that these the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. <laughs> it's a matter of peace and and you know uh, you know righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we right. want to make sure that we don't uh, emphasize what we eat and drink as a point of whether we're in right relationship to God. God gives freedom here, and Paul says some people will eat only vegetables, Romans 14. Others will eat everything, and everyone should be convinced in his own mind that that, that's a matter of personal conviction, but we shouldn't foist our own personal convictions on others. We give them the freedom to, to, you know, if they... And and, in fact, Paul says it's the, the, the weaker brother is the one who has a conscience about eating meat. And so you don't have to go against your conscience. But again, Paul also talks about how we, in Rome, in 1 Corinthians, uh, you know, 8 and 10, that we actually have liberty to eat meat, uh, even meat offered to idols. Um, But if a person, you know, is the weaker brother, the person who has a weak conscience, then he shouldn't go against it. But again, Paul's saying that ultimately it is morally permissible. It is, it is fine. It is a gift from God to, uh, to eat meat, so long as you're not um, in, engaging in some sort of a pagan sacrifice in the temple, say, uh, by eating meats offered to a, to a, to a uh, to false deity. Yeah, that's, that's good. One of the other things I guess I've noticed when I have these discussions is it's almost like they, they will jump back and forth between two 
points. One is they may say, well, I'm doing it for health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'll be healthier, et cetera, because eating meat. I think Melissa's going to bring up some of those documentaries that come up. But then when you start getting pressed, again, they get, they end up tying the Bible into it and trying to make a biblical case. So it's like they right. go back and forth between saying, well, it's it's, a health, it's health reasons, and then to, well, the, the Bible, you know, it's, it's better to be a vegan. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, studies have been done where people will go to a vegan diet for time, but they, it seems like they just – want to go back to meat. I mean, some people say, I've been fine. I've met people. And, and again, that's great. You know, they've, they've gotten healthier. And I think we, having, a more, having more vegetables in your diet is a good thing. Uh, that's, that's, right. that's great. But, uh, but there are also cases, and I know that, say, for example, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, uh, he and his wife and daughter, they have had, um, you know, you know, in, you know again, in, inherited, uh, you know, various, um, you know, you know I, I'm not sure what the the particular condition is called, but um, they you know were in poor health precisely because they you know they they didn't really do a lot with meat, but now they're strict you know, virtually strict carnivores because it has been yeah. beneficial to their health to do so. I just talked to Bill Craig, Bill and Jan Craig um, at a conference in Chicago back in June, and they were telling me that you know Bill he since he's been a, on a more carnivorous diet, eating primarily meat, his health has greatly improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he, he finds wow. that he's, uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, sicknesses, the colds and so forth that he used to get when he traveled right. and so forth, he just doesn't have them anymore because he's just had a, a basically a, a, a meat-based diet. So, so again, you know, I've got a sister who has, who has Lyme disease, and it's because she's been eating meat that her, she's, her health has stabilized. She's been, so, it, again, mm-hmm. this can be very, very helpful. And there are just some things that you're not going to get, you know, certain amino acids and so forth, that you're not going to get as readily if you eat right. uh, just vegetables. And, you know, frankly, yeah. uh, eating, say, chicken or whatever is a, a, a way to get filled very quickly and very cheaply. And when, you know, some people like Wendell Berry and so forth, they talk about, you know, well, what about just growing your own animals and not having them behind walls and factory farms and so forth? Well, the problem is, People, two percent of people, you know, in America, two uh, percent of the population lives on a farm. We used to slaughter pigs and and everything every day as part of our livelihood, as you know, in a, in a in a in an agricultural community. But no longer now, it's kind of behind. It's done in larger measure to feed larger numbers of people and what used to be part of everyday life uh, to provide, mm-hmm. to put food on the table is now kind of in in remote areas and it's we're removed from. Uh, you know, we're removed mm-hmm. from slaughterhouses. We're removed from killing animals and so forth. And you know, one one group, uh, you know, the uh, you know said, you know, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, we'd all be vegetarian. Well, no, I think mm-hmm. the you know it, it, it's just because we're removed from the slaughtering of animals and eating them as part of our everyday lives that we're in a sense sanitized from that sort of a thing. But, but again, these mm-hmm. factory farms actually provide ready food. You think about, you know, population like in Singapore or Hong Kong or so, you know, where you have high density mm-hmm. populations and there's no place to have your own farm and let your animals run free and so forth. You know, a, a lot of times mm-hmm. these sorts of conditions allow for food to be made readily available 
fairly quickly mm-hmm. and under controlled mm-hmm. circumstances. And frankly, pigs and so forth, they live, they've got the best conditions. In fact, two of the, contribu- two of the contributors to our book are hog farmers <laughs> who've been doing hog farming generationally. And they say our pigs are producing mm-hmm. more litter than our grand- when our grandparents had the, the factory farm. They've got better conditions indoors rather than being outdoor all the time. You know, they're getting antibiotics mm-hmm. to protect them from diseases and so forth. They're healthier. They're, they live longer. Right. They produce more and so forth. And you, you look at all the you know, quality of living uh, um, scale. I mean, pigs now are doing a lot better than generations ago. And so, so mm-hmm. the conditions are so much better, so much more improved. But yet, we, we, you know, the closest thing that we have to animals in our lives are pets. And, and pets are like honorary mm-hmm. members of the family. But, but again, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times we think, oh, you know, like some of these uh, people from these animal rights groups will say, oh, can you imagine eating Lassie, your dog? And they'll try to say, well, if you can't eat Lassie, then you can't eat turkey uh, on Thanksgiving or you can't eat uh, you know, ham or something like that. Well, again, there are cultural things that we know. There are some meats that we won't eat, like rats or something. But, I mean, you know, in, in some right. places in Asia, you can eat dog, you can eat cat and so forth. There's no problem. It's just kind of a cultural thing. But it's not as though, you know, and, and we don't eat our pets. That's just the sort of thing that, you know, that's just the way it goes. Some people are squeamish about maybe working in a slaughterhouse. There are other people who aren't squeamish about it. It's sort of like fighting in war. Some people might be a little weak-kneed and timid about fighting in a just war. Other people may be able to mm-hmm. uh, to, to do that without having any sort of sensitivity of, of conscience or something like that. It doesn't mean that they're wicked people. They just, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the weaker and stronger brother here. Um, and so uh, Tim Shaw, who's a Christian philosopher, he's contributed a couple of excellent chapters yeah. on, on human right. exceptionalism yeah. and also one on why it's morally permissible to eat animals. So, so again, we've got Walter Kaiser, who's an Old Testament scholar. He's written on the Old Testament. I've written on, uh, you know, on the, on basically some given some theological perspective, and uh, and mm-hmm. also on the New Testament view of eating meat. I have a chapter in there called Veggie Tales. Um, and uh, dealing with some of these myths that go around uh, from animal rights activists and uh, trying to put some of these things in biblical perspective. Um, so anyway, it's, there's a, it's kind of a range of disciplines that are being represented in this mm-hmm. book on rhetoric, the rhetoric of the animal rights activists and, and the kind of food that we ought to be eating and so forth. There's a lot of rhetoric that goes behind this. And also uh, Wes mm-hmm. Jameson, who's been involved, very, who's a colleague of mine here at Palm Beach Atlantic University, involved in Animal Agriculture Alliance stuff and and also uh you know so he's done his phd in this area and so he's very well versed mm-hmm. to talk about these sorts of things so anyway it's a it's a, just a great array of chapters it's very easy to uh to to read and it, it comes at this topic from a number of different angles i agree this book um for those listening that you uh as dr copan just shared it just covers a wide range of, of various topics related to this issue, um, the rhetoric, um, you brought that up. That's a very um, interesting, that was very interesting for me, actually, because um, mm. you many times are unaware of some of the rhetoric, uh, what it actually means, farm-raised, fresh, uh, uh, you know, free-range and organic and all of these different things, mm. and that can right. be also um, implied as more spiritual, the more organic that your food is, right? Um, or, exactly, or supposedly yeah. the more it is. Um, but also some of the chapters here, why the issue matters, um, the, some of the um, 
um, the moral issues, why, pe- why people matter. And like you were talking about Tim's chapter on um, human exceptionalism and human lives matters, the theological perspective. Um, it's just a great wide range of of, uh, of answers related to this topic that you guys all tackle this from, which I really appreciate. Um, mm. As far as um, what what role in terms of our food and in terms of the or uh, more of the, the especially the part on here about rhetoric and um, the there was a specific term here that had really uh, stuck out to me um, regarding that. Um, let's see here. Um, the you know the narrative paradigm and how we talk about food because mm-hmm. we talk about food a lot, right? Um, yeah, it indeed. becomes almost it becomes very confusing and almost a burden sometimes, right? <laughs> For the average yeah, person yeah. who's not a, a farmer. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You know, no, you're right. And for Christians, as we're thinking, as we're thinking about what we're eating and putting into our bodies, and uh, how 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 much should we? How much would you say theologically? Um, should we? How much effort should we put into understanding these sort of the rhetoric and the terms around food and that and, and around meat even and vegetables too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're you know the the whole narrative. You know, where did the food come from? Was it organically grown? Um, you know, does it have um, you know you know are there is there is there anything genetically modified? In this plant, there are actually only yeah. ten genetically modified plants, and actually, these plants are actually used to help produce more food to feed more people without having to worry about pests and so forth. They, they're more pet resistant, you're pest resistant, more drought resistant, and so forth. And they're just, you know, there's a, you know, somebody by the name of, you know, um, you know, um, there's a. Uh, you know, a website that you can go with that deals with some of these, you know, myths related to, uh, you know, you know, GMOs and so forth that, uh, you know, a lot of people think that this is, you know, somehow bad for your health or some, some, you know, but it actually the motivation behind this is so that farmers don't have to deal with pests, that they can, that these mm-hmm. plants can re- withstand drought and so forth and o- in order to feed a lot more people. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to go organic, that's fine, but this is something that is right. uh, going to be a lot less ex- a lot less expensive to feed a lot more people you know to to go organic mm-hmm. and so forth it's going to cost you a lot more you're not going to be able to feed yourself as well um you know as 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 you could otherwise so so i think yes being wise you know i mean get your vegetables in and so forth um you know i mean even in jesus day yes there's meat that was eaten but it wasn't the the dominant diet and so we're not saying you know eat mm-hmm. only meat or something like that but but yes there's a Balance right. to uh, to all of these things, and we're living longer, uh, we're we're healthier, uh, and and so forth. The, yeah, it, be aware of uh, certain you know certain things that may be processed or whatever. Sure, I get that, um, but I think some people can become over you know, kind of the food police, where uh, where mm-hmm. anything that you eat for enjoyment, just having a having a little something, a little you know extra butter on your popcorn or something like that. You know, there's you know or you know having too many too much of a soft drink. Again, I'm not saying soft drinks are great. I mean, I don't drink them, but but again, 
I think so often these sorts of things can become points of ethical or moral superiority or spiritual superiority over other people. And I think we just have to be uh, follow Paul's admonition here not to make this sort of a thing uh, a matter of better or worse morally or spiritually. Um, let everyone be convinced mm-hmm. in his own mind. Be wise. You know, be wise about your diet. Don't overeat. You know, don't etc. But on the other hand, uh, you know, be you know, there is a certain freedom that God gives to us as well, and we certainly see that in both the Old and the New Testament, that there's a freedom about these sorts of things. And uh, that's really the spirit that we want to capture here. Right. So wisdom and moderation um, seems to be, uh, you know, throughout your book, it seems to be kind of a thing there for for us to use wisdom, you know, as it relates to what we eat and and moderation mm-hmm. of things. Um, yeah, yeah and, 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 and the enjoyment of things too. Yeah. Like Paul, you know, Absolutely. even in that text in First Timothy chapter four, that you know we we read that God has given to us, you know, uh, in chapter six, you know, you know, God has given to us all of these things to enjoy. That there is a certain enjoyment mm-hmm. that we can have in these material goods that God has given to us, eating food or you know, you know, you know, even even you know the the money, the wealth that God has given to us, not a health and wealth sort of thing, but but that there is you know God has given to, not to set our hope on riches, but you know, to set our hope on God, who gives us all of these things richly to enjoy. So, so again, there's a certain celebration of, you know, God's goodness in in partaking in these things. Yeah, I think you know, um, even in some conversations that um, I've had with people, um, it's uh, my food. I don't eat food for enjoyment, but I eat food for fuel, kind of a thing, mm-hmm. kind of a perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're saying, like as you're saying, that there's a there's a unique gift that comes from food that, I mean, we all experience when we just eat, you know, grandma's, you know, pecan pie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you sit around the table at Thanksgiving. Right, right. It's just a certain mm-hmm. enjoyment that it, that it brings. I mean, you see, you see the feasts in the biblical times, and and it's just mm-hmm. it is it's, it's a good that, that God has given us. Um, one question for you as well, um, you know, we really see, I think, a lot of this um, interest in veganism and, and that come about by a lot of these uh, documentaries that come out on Netflix. I'm thinking of some like sure. Forks Over Knives or right. What the Health, and you see yeah. people just, you know, completely change their life based mm-hmm. on, you know, what I see is some pretty sketchy science and Weird, some some weird things. What are your thoughts on these documentaries? Because they seem to have had such a major impact. Yeah, um, you know, again, it, it's not as though there uh, there aren't some. Uh, you know, merits. I mean, like, um, you know, supersize me. I mean, living on a diet at McDonald's constantly. Uh, yeah, that's going to uh, that's going to affect your health. Uh, you want to be careful about that. I mean, that's the sort of thing you have once in a while. You know, you want a steady diet of things that are uh, going to be, uh, you know, helping out your body. Um, and, and not leading to conditions that may compromise your health later on. So, so I, I think we can get that. Uh, I think we can understand that. But uh, you know, as you, I, I think so often we're we're getting our cues from culture, from various interest groups, and, and I think so often we lose sight of what the the scriptures are are saying about these things. Yes, take care of your body. Uh, your body's got to last you. We, t- we tell our kids that. You know, uh, take care of your body. Don't mm-hmm. don't abuse it. Uh, uh, you know, you've got it's got to last you your lifetime, and so you don't want uh, your you know 
if you can help it, you don't want things breaking down prematurely. Uh, but on the other hand, there's, mm-hmm. uh, I think some people can become, like you said, uh, I'm just going to eat for fuel, but, but there's no enjoyment of these things. There's no enjoyment mm-hmm. of life. Like you said, um, Devin, you know, in biblical times, Food was a place where you celebrated. You know, food was the you know, brought people together. Uh, you know, slaying the fatted calf to celebrate the prodigal son coming home. Uh, this is something that was seen as a, a a great thing, a wonderful thing, something to enjoy, something to savor. And uh, and and I think so much of the enjoyment of eating food is being taken away by uh, you know various interest groups and so forth. When it it really flies in the face of the spirit of Scripture. So so again. Enjoy the good gifts of God. Be wise about how you uh, partake, um, you know, and uh, and, um, and and I think just remember that God has given human beings uh, again a stewardship which involves mm-hmm. being able to eat animals. Uh, you know, that is uh, again part of the the, the gifts that uh, that God has given to to humanity to enjoy. And so, so again, I think so often what ends up happening is that in order to you know, you know well, animals are often given these rights, and what ends up happening is that human beings are brought notches lower in order to meet uh, the level of animals. Uh, you know, that like PETA's founder Ingrid Newkirk says, you know, a rat is a pig, is a boy, is a dog. Well, here's a serious problem. If you've got people like that who are informing you about what you should be eating, well, of course it's going to be skewed. Of course it's going to be unbiblical. So we need to make sure that we're taking our cues from Scripture, and that's really what uh, a large portion of our book is about, that we would say, well, let's mm-hmm. – instead yeah. of listening to the rhetoric, instead of listening to the uh, you know, animal rights activists, what does God have to say about this? What does Jesus have mm-hmm. to say? I mean, if you want to look at Jesus, what would Jesus really eat or what did he teach? Well, let's take that seriously rather than saying, oh, Jesus was compassionate, therefore we shouldn't eat animals because that's not compassionate if you do. So, so again, we, uh, so, so, so many times we can be, people can be selective about what they'll take from Scripture and then ignore the, mm-hmm. in a sense, the, the underlying uh, themes of Scripture and, uh, and, and try to put us all into uh, you know, a, a certain, you know, tell us you know, you're, you're, you're guilty, you're, ba- you're ba- a bad person if you, if you eat meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as you just pointed out, I, I love how throughout this this book is just saturated with scripture. I mean, from beginning to end. So it's not um, it's not as if you all are just giving um, your own uh, just some perspectives that you just kind of throw together. But you you these things are based in in scriptural truth and um, philosophical knowledge and and these sort of things. So I really appreciate that. Um, it almost I mean, it, you as you read through, you actually you know, for me, I'm going and I'm grabbing my Bible and I'm digging and I'm looking at these Old Testament passages and, you know, it's led me to um, to a, a lot of study in some areas that I, I had not um, looked at much before. Um, and so I, I appreciate all that you that you have put together in this book. Um, what would be some of your, um, the biggest takeaways that you think that you would like for someone um, after they read this book? Um just the biggest takeaways in terms of uh, animal rights, uh, health, um, the scriptures, mm-hmm. moral obligations um, to uh, to in, in dominion of the earth and these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, I think a, a few things, a few important takeaways. Uh, one is that 
human beings are made in the image of God. They are distinct. They are given a certain dominion. It doesn't mean abuse the abuse the earth, um, but the the you know dominion mm-hmm. is a co-ruling with God, who is a caretaker of the earth. He's a you know and and but also one who gives meat to people to eat and to enjoy. He's not saying eat to the point of uh, animal extinction or uh, and, and so forth. There's, you know, there needs to be wise, principled use of our resources and so forth, not depleting our resources. So we need to be thinking about how we can replenish these resources too. So again, it, there's a, mm-hmm. a wise, principled dominion rather than an abusive one. And that, that's something that really we really need to understand. Uh, so, in, and mm-hmm. also in distinguishing human beings from animals, that also means we can, uh, you know, that, that animals don't have the same status that we do. So to be compassionate to an animal doesn't mean that you don't eat it. Sometimes in, in certain places, mm-hmm. like deer can overrun an area, they can become a nuisance and so forth. And some sort of a control mm-hmm. is, is going to be needed in order to bring these things uh, in into uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, you know, so that so that human beings can can live uh, uh, in their communities and so forth. You know, uh, getting rid of rats and so forth, uh, where they're cre- carrying mm-hmm. disease and so forth. That's how the bubonic plague got going in Europe in the Middle Ages, killing off a, a quarter to a third of the population. Um, so, so again, you mm-hmm. have you have mm-hmm. uh, a stewardship here, which sometimes means eliminating animals that pose a danger mm-hmm. that are a threat to uh, to human well-being but if we uh, treat human beings and animals the same we're going to be uh, we're going to we're going to be basically at the mercy of the animal kingdom rather than mm-hmm. taking proper stewardship seriously uh, it, it also means mm-hmm. that we can be confident as we talk to people about you know animal you know the whole animal uh, rights uh, eating meat sort of issues it doesn't mean that they're going to agree with us, but this book will help equip people to speak from a biblical, philosophical point of view uh, to mm-hmm. to give reasons for why it is, you know, in principle, morally permissible to uh, to eat mm-hmm. meat, to eat animals, and so forth, and also to push back and say, well, if you're an atheist, if you believe that animals do have value. Where do you think their value came from if we've simply all come from valueless processes, valueless material processes? Well, I think that any value, animal or human, should emerge at all. And so I think it's important to push back on some of these philosophical issues where people are often positing Mm -hmm. or saying, yeah, animals have value. Well, where did that value come from? Why yeah, think that anything has value in the absence of a God who has made, you know, a supremely value, who is a supremely valuable being who has made valuable beings? Yeah, we get that, but but if we're just simply the product of these blind, valueless, deterministic material forces, why think anything mm-hmm. has value? Why think anything has rights? So so those are some of the questions mm-hmm. that we can push back on that are important for us to uh, to process. And and I think again, reminding people of the freedom that they have as Christians and not to be cowed by various interest groups. And uh, you know, but to mm-hmm. but to be wise in our freedom uh, and also to be tolerant of others mm-hmm. who have a different conviction about this matter. But again, they also need to remember what uh, you know that God gives uh, you know that the earth is the Lord's and everything within it, and that means a certain freedom for you know eating meat and so forth. And uh, Jesus and Paul are ones who are speaking very uh, very powerfully uh, in this regard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and some of these interest groups too. I mean, it's interesting, like the the Christian vegetarian. Association. Some of the people who are mm-hmm. articulating their views are. I mean, you'll have somebody who will say that Jesus 
uh, was was cruel to animals when he allowed demons to enter them. They say that Jesus, you know, sent them over mm-hmm. the hill uh, to their to their deaths, but actually yeah. it was the demonic beings. But they'll say that Jesus was being cruel, or we don't have to listen to Paul mm-hmm. because you know basically why why think that he's an authority? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll have people coming from the you know so-called Christian community, but they're diminishing. Moses, they're diminishing, yeah. diminishing Jesus, they're diminishing Paul, mm-hmm. and you're starting to think, well, what do you mean by Christian? <laughs> what do you mean by Christian ethics mm-hmm. here? Uh, because they're actually undermining, undercutting the very source of authority that they're claiming to follow. Wow. So, yeah, so a lot of inconsistencies um, that you can see internally when you're trying to, and again, we're not talking about those who are, uh, you know, who are who are just generally vegetarians, but those who hold to a strict sort of spiritual interpretation and and reasoning behind these things. But there, you're you're right in, in terms of when you go through scripture, there's a lot of inconsistencies that you're going to have to overcome to to hold a position. Um, and you know, it it to me in this culture, we call this the information age. But you know, in the day of, now that we have Google and we have YouTube and we have Netflix and we have all of these sources for information, it seems like mm-hmm. a lot of the information we don't, we're not filtering. And you know, right. God is the God of truth, and as Christians, as Christians, we have to be concerned about truth in all areas, even areas mm-hmm. that we may that may seem inconsequential. Um, they have there's worldviews, and, and you and you brought up special interest groups, and there's agendas, and your the book uh, points it out very well throughout that we have to be on guard, right, with our hearts and our minds, and that we are purporting truth and that we're not spreading error, that we are not buying into pseudoscience, into um, these things that are not rooted and grounded in truth because we serve a God who is is all about truth and spreading truth. And so um, I really thank you for this work. Um, And so we have – the, the book is linked here in the show description, um, so you, everyone, I just I recommend it. It's a, a easy, a, it's a, not a long read, but um, definitely it's power packed with a lot of scripture, a lot of philosophical truths, and a lot of theological truths, and just practical um, truths and, and uh, knowledge from from the meat industry, um, from those who are mm-hmm. uh, in that industry as well. So yeah, your his other books yeah. as well, folks. Mm-hmm. The um, when God goes to Starbucks, yeah. uh, that's just your interpretation. True for you, not for me. All his books are phenomenal. Yeah. So, so visit PaulCapan.com, and you can. Yeah. I, I, we we recommend every one of his books. Yeah, so. we're, we're using your God when God goes to Starbucks with our Rackfield Christie student leaders um, hmm. to to check in with them once a month and go through that. So okay. we really appreciate it and just love all your work. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you so much. I appreciate your. Uh, your hearty support and encouragement, and uh, thanks for having me on your program. I really appreciate that, too. We thank you so much for your time, Dr. Copan. You have a wonderful uh, semester there at Palm Atlantic. All right. Thank you so much. Blessings on you both. You God too. bless. Folks, uh, join us next week. We'll be back with another episode of Theology Matters, and we'll have Pastor Jason Wallace on. And he will be uh, talking about the new video he just did on naturalism and how to really engage atheists. And we'll have a, uh, the video up for that. Maybe we'll put it up this week and give people a chance to watch that. Uh, Pastor Jason has been on before. He's a uh, – I believe he's with the 
OPC Presbyterian Church and does a lot of really good stuff with Mormons and is one of the few pastors out there really doing a lot of apologetics out there in Utah, which is a rough place to to be kind of uh, religiously and culturally. And uh, I grew up there, lived there for, for 23 years, so uh, it's a great place, but it's hard for Christians out there to, uh, to, to, to share the faith. So tune, us, tune in next week. Again, that will be Wednesday, uh, probably about 1230. And uh, we'll be looking at that with Pastor Jason. Melissa, it was good to do the show with you again. You too, sir. All right. Appreciate you guys and hope you all have a great week. God bless. God bless.